Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 6. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 6. We've been walking with Jesus Christ through His earthly ministry and seeing the beginning steps of His earthly ministry as He's called uh, people to Himself. He's starting to get name recognition. He's already has the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees already turning against Him. But yet He is moving on. And now as we come to the Gospel record of Mark in chapter number 6, we could see another challenge that now appears into the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ while he is on this earth. And we would like to see this interesting concept, this time of difference. Now, at this time, people have now begun to flock around him. We've already described the last couple messages, how they thronged him, how they flocked him, how they were surrounding him. But now he encounters something different. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in the gospel record of Mark, chapter number 6. The gospel record of Mark, chapter 6. And notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, starting at verse 1. The gospel record of Mark, chapter 6, and in verse 1, the Bible says this, And he went out from thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, of Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching, and he called unto them the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever you Enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whoso shall not receive you, nor hear you when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick 
and heal them. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Mark in chapter number six? The gospel record of Mark in chapter number six. And notice with me in verse number four. The gospel record of Mark chapter six and verse four. Notice the phrase, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country. A prophet is not without honor. And if you wouldn't mind, maybe we could shorten the title just a little bit and preach a prophet without honor. A prophet without honor honor. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God, a God who is so worthy to be worshiped. You're worthy of our time, our devotion. You're worthy of our respect. You're worthy of us obeying obeying you and acknowledging you and seeing what you are doing. We know that you know what you're doing, that you place certain people in certain positions for a certain reason, and we can trust you. I'm asking that you would give me clarity of mind. Give me the exact words to speak, how to direct this message, how to use it, what to give to these good folks to be a help to them during their day. Lord, I admit to you, I need you, and I have cast my dependence upon you even now that you get accomplished what you want to get done, not what I want to get done, what I think needs to be done. You take control. Fill me with your spirit. I surrender all of this to you, and I thank you for your good work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come here, we could see a very interesting time in the Lord Jesus Christ's life. The very first thing I'd like to point out to you in the gospel record of Mark chapter 6 is unbelief at home. Unbelief at home. Now, after Jesus began to get public recognition, people began to throng him. People began to um, be around him. But now something changed. Something happened. Notice with me in verse number one. And he went out from thence. So after dealing with all the uh, Jarius and dealing with the woman of the issue of the blood, dealing with the maniac of Gadara, he went from that region of Galilee and has turned about to go back to his hometown, his home country. Verse six, or verse number one, chapter six. And he went out from thence and came to his own country and his disciples follow him. So he began to take his disciples back to his own home country. And as he went to go home, his hometown of Nazareth. Now remember, this is where Jesus grew up at. Not only did Jesus grow up here, but he also lived here as an adult. Remember that his professional job before he entered into an earth, uh, his earthly ministry was that he was running a carpenter shop. That his stepfather had taught him and worked with him inside of the carpenter shop. And for most of these people, he was the local carpenter that had been missing in action for a year or so. Notice now, <coughs> he's gone into his home. He's taken his disciples with him. And they probably didn't even realize how important this was until later on after Jesus ascended to heaven. But could you imagine this? He's got Peter, James, and John. He's got Andrew and Nathaniel. And he's got them. And he says, boys, this is where I grew up at. This is where I lived. This over here was the house 
that I grew up in. Over there, that's the carpenter shop where I worked for a while. Hey, over here, that's... uh, That's old lady Sally. And look, she's still in her yard, still working. And there's something about going back home. If you grew up in a small town, every time you go back, it looks the same. The same people, the same things are there, the same landmarks, the same everything. In fact, probably the only thing that changes is that when you come back, it looks just a little bit smaller. Just looks a little bit... uh, more forgotten but things never change and so he takes him and he says all right this is where I went to uh um <clears throat> this is where I went every Sabbath day to the synagogue this is the synagogue that my family and I went to and guess what boys when it comes on Saturday when it comes to the Sabbath day that's where we're gonna go and so sure enough the Sabbath day came notice verse number two and when the Sabbath day came he began to teach in the synagogue And so it came the Sabbath day. Everyone's gathering together on the Sabbath day. They're gathering together to uh, hear the word of God. And maybe the local rabbi says, Hey, we have in our midst the hometown boy. Jesus has come back. He's been on a preaching crusade. He's been preaching in Jerusalem. He's been preaching all around. You've probably heard his fame. And so, Jesus, why don't you come and give us a word from the Lord? And Jesus came up and began to teach to everyone. Now, you'd almost expect that him being the hometown, that everyone knew who he was, that everyone would be ready to hear. But that's not quite what happened. Notice again in verse number 2. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, even as such mighty works were wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So as they were, as he began to preach and he began to open up the Bible and begin to preach to them the Bible and pointing them up to God and talking about repentance, the people were astonished. And the reason why they were astonished was not because of his powerful preaching. It's because, hey, What is the carpenter doing up there preaching? I mean, why isn't he fixing our houses? Where's he been the last year? I mean, I've gone to his shop. I watched him grow up. I've watched him as he worked with the tools. I've seen his work and it's been great work. But what in the world is the carpenter doing up there? Why is the mailman teaching a Sunday school class? What business does he have that? Why in the world is the milkman running this over here? Why? I mean, they come to the idea that's all they can see Jesus as is the carpenter. It's that carpenter. But there were other people in the congregation, not just the townsfolk who had grown up just thinking of Jesus as the carpenter. But Jesus' family is there. That we know according to this text that Jesus had four other brothers, half-brothers, and two sisters, half-sisters. Notice again in verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? 
And are not his sisters here with us? And they, notice that word they, they were offended at him. Who's that they? That's his family. Now, sometimes we get in mind that Jesus had a perfect life and a perfect childhood and perfect this and a perfect that. But one of the things the Bible says that Jesus was tempted and tried in all ways. That we were tempted. There's not a single thing that we can go through that Jesus didn't go through. Here's an example. Someone can never go up to Jesus and say, listen, you grew up in a perfect household. You don't know what it's like to grow up in a household like me. He says, oh yeah? You know, some people would say, but listen, his mother was Mary. May I remind you that Mary was a sinner and she needed saved and she didn't always do things that were right. She did some things that were not correct, but Jesus submitted to her anyways, and the Bible records that. But then, can you think of being a sibling to Jesus? To grow up with Mr. Perfect! There's one thing that's true of children, is that they don't always want to be perfect. And kids are not perfect. Even preachers' kids are not perfect. Kids sometimes like to get into trouble. And they do not like Mr. Perfect to make sure they don't get in trouble. You probably shouldn't do that. Who asked you? I can do what I want. His, their parents going to him. Why can't you be more like Jesus? I can't. He's perfect. To grow up being compared to Mr. Perfect. And now he's preaching, Mr. Big Shot. He's up there preaching and the whole town's talking about him, that he's nothing but a carpenter and he's embarrassing us. And they're offended at him. You wouldn't think this would be true. But we see a principle that is relayed here. Notice with me in verse number four. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. Here is a principle here that a prophet is not without honor except one place in his own country with his own people, his own family. His own family doesn't show him honor. Remember, the word honor here carries the idea of respect. Who is Jesus? Well, in this case, he was the teacher that day of the word of God. He was the prophet to deliver them the message. We know that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the son of God. But to his family, they did not see him as those things. They saw him as the one that was growing up. The one that would always be the one who never got in trouble. The one that was Mr. Perfect. The one who did this to the people in the town. He was the one who, who was the carpenter. To Mary, can you think about how hard it was for her? She changed Jesus' diapers. Can you think of how hard it would be to switch over? To think, not only did I change his diapers, but he's saving me from my sin? That would be a hard thing to overcome. 
Here's a principle that I want you to grab a hold of. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? The more familiar you are with someone, the harder it is to work with them. Familiarity breeds contempt. This is why it is always harder to work with family. It is harder when you are the one who is in a leadership position or trying to deliver a message to them. Many of you are familiar with this. That now you've come to know Jesus as your Savior. You are getting excited. The Bible is opening up and you're growing. And your natural indication because you're growing with the Lord is you want your family to enjoy the same benefits you are. That if they're not saved, you want them to come to know Jesus as their Savior. If they are saved and not following the Lord, you want them to follow the Lord. And so this is how it goes. You being so excited about the things of the Lord, you begin to share with them what the Bible says. But what happens is that they don't hear the message They're stuck looking at the messenger. And instead of hearing what you're saying, all they could see is all your flaws. All the times that you messed up. And what they have in their mind, because they don't want to listen to the message, that if they could somehow get rid of the messenger, disqualify the messenger, then they don't have to listen to the message. That's just by default how all people are. And the family is worst of all because they know all your flaws. They know your problems and they know that you know theirs. And so no matter what you say, they're offended. No matter what you say, they don't receive the message because a prophet is without honor or respect in his own country. Remember the idea here is respect. Being the messenger. That when you are declaring the Bible, you're just being the messenger for God. You're just telling them what the Bible says. That it's not about you. You are out of the equation. All you happen to be doing is showing them what the Bible says and trying to help them. But instead of looking at the message, they're looking at the messenger. And they see all the problems that you have. And we all know that. Some of you are working with parents and you're so heartbroken for them. And you want them to do the best. You want them to enjoy the Christian life. You want them to enjoy these things. But familiarity breeds contempt. It is always harder to work with family. And Jesus faced that. He knew what it was like. We see that right here. Now, The same thing as we apply this principle to uh, God's word is that it's same thing is true dealing with a pastor. That the longer that you serve with a pastor, the harder it is sometimes to divorce the man from the message. Let me tell you a secret. In case you have never realized this, I am not perfect. I know some of you are clutching your hearts right now and you just don't know how you're going to process that information, but I am not perfect. There's no difference between you and I. I am a sinner saved by grace and I struggle just like you struggle. 
I have sin in my life. I am not perfect. I have more sin than you know about in my life. But what happens is that the more that you get familiar with me, the more flaws that you see, you see my feet of clay. And so in your mind, whenever you hear a message you don't want to obey, it will be easier by default to find some problem with the preacher, with the messenger, so therefore you don't have to obey the message. You know what that requires? That requires us to die to self. To die to what we feel so that way we're not seeing the flaws of the messenger. But we can honestly hear the message that God wants to deliver to us. This is a principle here that a prophet is without honor, without respect in his own home. May I give uh, an illustration of how this works? Now, sometimes people will come to me and say, what do I call you? Do I call you preacher? Do you call you brother Scotty, brother Bockhouse? What do you want to be addressed as? And for me, my preference is pastor. And the reason why is because uh, not that I'm special, but because of the title should bring respect. And I know that there's some people who will never call me pastor. Not a big deal. But it is an indication for someone who usually calls me pastor that when all of a sudden they are addressing me by my first name, that I've gone down a peg. There's something there. I've lost some respect, and it is going to be harder to deliver a message that they need to hear because of that. Maybe I could tie it in a different way. That Satan is always looking for a small crack that he could put a wedge in between all biblical authority. It could be that a husband and wife, that the wife just sees the flaws of her husband. Why can't he be perfect? Why does he have to do this? Why does he do this? And so whenever he delivers a message that sometimes is from the Lord, she doesn't accept it as from the Lord because all she could see is his flaws. Do you know that God can even use heathen people and people not right with the Lord to lead us in a direction to give us advice to give us a message that comes from the Lord absolutely and that we have to be prepared to hear God's voice and not just discount it because we see problems with the messenger familiarity breeds contempt a prophet is without honor in his own home so what do we do about this? Well, Jesus sent his disciples off. We'll talk more about that. Sometimes it requires someone other than us to go talk to them. But the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, we're not going to turn there, gives another solution that as we get closer with God and we begin to change, our family who knows us best will see those changes and it will make them wonder. And the Bible says that they could be one without the word by the conversation, in that case of First Peter 3, of the wives. That if we want to win our family to the Lord, we have to make the changes as we follow closer to God and allow him to change us that they can no longer discount the messenger because we could say, I'm not perfect, but look at what God has done for me. That's what we have to do is bring to the place 
where we could restore that honor so they could listen to the message. If you don't mind, we also see a second thing here. Um, Before we get to the second thing, I want to show you this. Notice with me as this goes on in verse number five. Now this is amazing. And he, that's Jesus, could there do no mighty work. This is Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. And it says that he could do no mighty work save or the exception that he laid some hands on a few sick folk and he healed them. Now, it wasn't because he didn't have the power and it wasn't because of their disbelief hindered his work. It was the idea that they didn't believe enough to come to him. Now, this is where the problem lies. That a prophet that's without honor could be at the place where he can help someone but they refuse to come to him because they no longer honor him or respect them in his mind. This happens with preachers. Let's say that uh, a family has decided to make their pastime to have roast preacher on the way home. And they want to criticize the preacher. And it may start at something small. Can you believe the suit that the preacher wore? Can you believe his haircut? You know, the preacher didn't shake hands with me. And we laugh at that, but that happens all the time. Now, I do have to apologize. I haven't shaken any of your hand in about a month. But that's because of our circumstances, not because I hate you or because I'm against you. But what happens is that some minor infraction occurs. And Satan builds that wedge. And what happens, a family comes to a place where they need spiritual guidance. They could use spiritual guidance. They need a miracle from God. They need someone to get a hold of God. And they will not go to the person that could help them because they no longer honor him. They no longer respect him. This is what happened. Is that everyone saying, oh, that's the carpenter. Why would I go to the carpenter for healing? Why would I go to my big brother for advice? Why would I go to him when the rest of his family is upset with him? Notice what the response of this in verse number six. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You know, there is not a lot that can make God marvel. He created the world. There's many things that make us marvel. To think about the stars. To think about the creation of the world. To think about animals. One-celled creatures and how complex they are. To think about all of these things. How oxygen works. How our body processes oxygen and carries it through the rest of our body. How our heart pumps without our brain saying pump, pump, pump. To think about there's so many things to marvel at. And yet God's the one who created it. There is not a lot that makes God marvel. But here, God marveled. What did he marvel with? What was it that made God go, wow? Their unbelief. That they rejected the possible help. They rejected the miracles. They rejected all the things that Christ could do. Because they no longer honored him 
and respected him. And it made him go, wow. It made him marvel. I mean, it ended up turning to a vacation for the last several weeks, months. He's been thronged by people, but he goes home and nobody bothers. Nobody wants to spend time with him. Nobody wants healing. Nobody needs anything. Nobody's approaching him. Save some people who probably snuck in when no one else is looking. A prophet without honor. It caused Jesus to marvel at their disbelief. They could have had help. He could have delivered them. He could have done so much more. But because they rejected the messenger, they would not receive the message. Which brings me to a second thing that is brought here. We could see the attempts to reach the home country. The attempts to reach the home country. Notice with me in verse number 7. And he called unto him the twelve. And began to send them forth two by two. And gave them power over unclean spirits. And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey. Save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse. Now, you think that going out for an hour is a hard time. Jesus sent these guys out for months, for weeks. All right, boys, we're sending you soul winning. And we're going to send you out for a while. And what we're going to do is we're going to send you out two by two. Your partners, you're stuck with each other. And I want you to go out. And when you go out, I don't want you to take anything. I want you to be dependent on God as you go out to trust in him. You take a staff to help you as you walk, to help defend yourself. He said, I don't want you to take any script. So no bag of money. I don't want you to bring any bread, no money in their purse, nothing. I want you to be dependent on God. And then when you go out there, you just go out with your sandals. Don't even bring an extra coat. I want you to be dependent on God. Verse number 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. So whenever you get to a place and they enter, let you come in, you stay there until you're done. You continue to work, you continue to move, you continue to do what you're supposed to do until you're done there. But if you happen to come somewhere and they don't want you, verse number 11, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart thence, Shake off the dust from under your feet for a testimony against them. So don't take it personally. You shake it off. You let God take care of it. Because let me tell you what's going to happen, Jesus tells them. Verily or truly, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than that city. He begins to talk to them about Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah had brought, God had brought rain and destruction to them. But these people that the disciples went to, they had the opportunity to hear a message that would deliver them, that would save them. Sodom and Gomorrah did not have that opportunity, or they might have repented. Here we see a principle here that those that have heard the truth and rejected it will have a harsher judgment than those who did not. 
Now that's something to think about. We'd often think about that judgment is in the idea of degrees by how many people you murdered, how many people you raped, how many people you offended. But actually judgment is how much you hear the truth and reject the truth. Even for Christians, we're responsible for this. Everything that you hear, you're responsible for obeying. And he says, shake it off. God's going to deal with this, but you move on. Verse number 12, and they went out and preached that men should repent, giving the message of repentance, that you're a sinner and you've offended a holy, righteous God, and that Jesus died for you and you need to come to him. Change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. Repent. See yourself as who you truly are, a sinner in need of a savior. And they preached that message. And they cast out many devils and anointed many that were sick and healed them. That God used them to make an impact as they went out. Why? Because people received the message from them as they honored the messenger. There's an idea here of carrying ourselves with honor and respect. But there are some people who will not receive it. That's up to God. All we have to do is to deliver the message And it's up to them to do whatever they want with that message. Now, for our place, we need to be reminded that God marvels at one thing, disbelief. Why did the people disbelieve? Because they did not respect the messenger. We have to be careful that we see the message that God is trying to give and not just see the flaws and the feet of clay of the messenger. We need to be able to see that and discern it and allow God to help us to be able to die to self so that we we can see what God is trying to tell us. This is an important thing because God wants to do amazing things. Our theme this year is with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Then why don't we see them done sometimes? Because we're not receiving the message it's not God's fault and it's not the messenger's fault sometimes it's the people who are not receiving the message for one reason or another but with God all things are possible but he marveled at their disbelief let's not let God marvel at us but let him have his glory shown because we trust a wonderful savior Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, 
please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.